Good morning, saints. So I want to warn you not to get too excited about this Jesus stuff. Some pretty good words today, right? Yes, Pastor John. Well, you already knew this. The unnecessary pastor, but I'm giving you a little hint. I stole the title, and there's a reason for it, okay? So I'll be explaining myself in a couple of moments. But I thought this morning it would be kind of um, a good thing for us, since I want to shift gears for two weeks for a particular reason, that we recite the Apostles' Creed this morning. And so we did that. Everybody remember that? A few minutes ago, we recited the Apostles' Creed. It's a little modified. Uh, some of us are used to one holy Catholic apostolic church. Right. Okay. It's all right, Kathy. My, my office is open for counseling anytime. Yes. Been ingrained. By the way, Mrs. Lou and fam, glad you're here. God bless you. Make sure everybody gets to say hi to her and her daughter, lovely daughter, that are visiting with us today. Back, visiting. Back, back again, whatever. Okay, we recited the Apostles' Creed on purpose, and the reason I wanted that is to remind us that we're part of a 2,000-year-old enterprise. This didn't just happen last week. We didn't invent it with uh, the Internet. The kingdom has been going forward through the church for 2,000 years since Jesus went back to sit at the right hand of the Father of the Majesty on high until his day of return, and his kingdom will continue to expand over all the earth, as we sang this morning. One holy, unified, set-apart, holy, one, unified, holy, set-apart, Catholic, universal, that's what it means, Universal church, apostolic church, the apostles laid down that which was truth that we are called to be loyal to. It's the long-term plan of God, plan A, he has no plan B. He's planted the church in the world to be witnesses to his glory and to share the good news. And all around the globe, less so in America, more in South America, Asia, Africa, Thousands upon thousands of people are embracing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Today. Okay, I'm going home now. (laughs) Thousands are accepting Jesus as Savior and Lord. I must, did my micro, all right, well, it's not, okay. You get what I'm saying. That's pretty exciting. Well, I am. I am, and I like being that way, too. Here's my question. Are you part of that great movement that's going to gather in heaven? If you're not or you're wondering, get in it. (laughs) It's free entry. What a great concert. We go to heaven, great concert. Free entry, right? Now, you do have to participate, though. That's the catch. You know, it's like worship on Sunday. You can go or you can participate. And by the way, I just love watching saints worship and enjoy God. I just love it. So I just wanted to say that because I have felt the need for taking a little break in our preaching schedule before I start another series to talk about leadership in the church. 
because there's been an assignment from the time I came four years ago. Uh, this is news for some people. There, there were some past dramas, and um, I was encouraged that we needed to reinstate elders and leadership in the church, which I am going to tell you has not been an easy assignment. And at the time, before my time, before my tenure, all but one walked off the job site and left us in a bit of a quandary. So I felt it necessary to speak into it because the church doesn't operate in a vacuum. God has given gifts to the assemblies to bless them and to coach them and help them move forward and to grow. And so I want to take just a couple of weeks to talk about that if I could. So to set the stage, there's a reason I've shared all that, to prepare us, and I'm going to um, impose upon you if you can. If you can't, it's okay to remain seated, but if you would stand for the reading of the Word of God, um, I would like to read this as you listen and try to focus in on what I'm saying, because it is the Word of God, all right, and... uh, And let us hear what the Spirit says to the church. This is the Ephesians book, the fourth chapter, starting in the first verse. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. And all of God's people said, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The word of the Lord. Hey, very good. Thanks be to God. And all of God's people said... Don't sit down yet. I want to pray. The fact that we are at times invisible to the world is irrelevant to your eternal reality. Thank you, God. That if we could put on spiritual glasses, we could look over the planet and we would see points of light in some places greatly concentrated, especially on Sabbath mornings when the saints gather out of the world and become part of this wonderful gift that you have given to people. Not everyone, even who professes your name, sees it that way. Lord, we need to have ears to hear. We need to have eyes that see. We need the help of your Holy Spirit. 
Thank you for those who labor and have labored, some who have stuck their neck out in a way in the past, seeking to see this assembly called Harmony prosper and do well and have spiritual vitality. Bless them for their efforts, Lord. Thank you that they did that. Maybe when others gave up. And Lord, we're here today acknowledging what Jesus said, that apart from you, we can accomplish nothing. We're not necessarily convinced, but I think you're right. Apart from you, we can really make nothing happen in that unseen spiritual world, including what's going on in our souls. We need the work of your spirit. So today we ask, give us ears to hear, push back on the darkness, because there is darkness, and the enemy is against any Christian waking up and becoming lively because that's a threat to his purposes. And so, Father, would you help us to be quickened, alert. In the name of Jesus, we pray for your help, O God. Amen. You may be seated, and thank you. In the light of all the uh, business shakeups and bank disasters that have happened over the last couple of decades, maybe you saw that phenomenal story of that multi-huge uh, company where the CEO had a large contingent of vice presidents. And there were a couple of uh, colleagues in there. Actually, they were related to each other. And they snuck off to meet with the CEO and said, you know, um, if you would just make me the CFO and my brother here, the CEO, the COO, we would take this company to the top of the NASDAQ. Well, the problem was they said it where other VPs were listening in and heard, and the next thing you know, all the trolls were active on the inner, inner office emails and notes and messages, and boy, was there a lot of turmoil. It got so bad that the CEO had to call a special meeting, sitting down with his VP, saying, you need to understand you're losing sight of our operational values, what makes us who we are. Anybody remember that story? It wasn't in the New York Times. But the CEO's message to his VPs was so timeless that people bothered to write it down. And here's what it says. And calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. Whoa. You mean it isn't a climb up the corporate ladder to see who's most important? Got the best digs, the corner office? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. It's not about status. It's not about power. Those who enter into kingdom work, church work, whatever, and have that in their mind, I'm just going to use this very harsh term. I call them spiritual idiots. They're missing it. Totally missing what it's about. And undermining the very nature of what Jesus is trying to communicate. 
there's an underlying principle here. The underlying principle is that of servanthood. He's looking for servants, not czars. We like the latter, you know. We can rule. Servanthood is central. I actually pulled something off the internet. I cheated a little bit. This is, this is kind of... Um, I, I feel like this is sometimes a rebuke to the church in America a little bit. See where I got that? I had to give credit. I stole it. It's a picture, actually, of a couple of our Jehovah Witness friends witnessing in Spain. And I'm like... I know we can look at that, we go, you know, the door-to-door approach and all of that, we may not like it, we tend to, like, freak out when that's coming our way, we close the door or whatever, but one thing they get absolutely right, they know they are the ministers. They know they are the ones who are called to do the work of ministry, they get that. Anybody recognize um, any of the, you know, this is a Baptist church. Did you know that one of the Baptist distinctives is called the priesthood of believers? Anybody ever heard of that? Priesthood of believers? Priesthood of believers means we're all enabled and gifted to do ministry. So that that concept shouldn't be their domain. It should be our domain. We should own that. And I don't mean just as Baptists. I mean as all evangelical, born-again children of God. If you were to take time to read through the book of Acts, you'll notice that Paul went around preaching the gospel. People got converted. They clustered them together in little locations, usually in homes, and those became churches. Little churches. And then later, Paul and Silas say, we need to go back and visit those churches. And when they went back, many times they did not have yet leadership of any kind. Those people were doing ministry and winning their friends and neighbors to Christ and building each other up without any leaders. And then Paul and Silas show up and go, oh, by the way, I think you're doing a pretty good job. You're in charge. You're in charge. You're in charge. And then they left. You can read it for yourself. I didn't make that up, okay? It's rainy out and we're all like, what? You all right? You all like, what? We already know this, Pastor John. Tell something interesting. To each one of us, the Ephesians text said, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. God has graced every believer. In fact, let me just show you something out of the book of Romans. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. How hard is that, right? We have a gift. Now, I'm going to be, let me be fair. Some of us got born again. We don't yet know, maybe. Anybody, anybody know what I mean? It's like, I'm, not, I'm really not sure yet. What, what is my gifting? You know, I interact with people. And by the way, I'm the worst person to come and talk to about this. You know, what should I do? How would I know? You know? I don't know what your gift is necessarily. Now, once in a while, I'm lucky, and I see it, and I go, Oh, I got this one figured out. Maybe you ought to try that. Because that gift would fit over there. But let's face it, sometimes we don't always know. And somewhere in this next coming year, I want to teach into that because there's very clear instruction on this in the scripture. But oftentimes, we're not aware of it. Each one of us was given grace. We have grace gifts that differ according to that which was given to us. We need to exercise them. But there's another thing. So I should be in process trying to discover what has got... Because here's, here's the big secret here. 
What has God made me for? I got born again. He's left me on the planet. What has he made me for? Yes, sir. Yes. Yes. Next year. Come back from my next year series. Okay. Yes. They are different than natural talents. So, for example, I'll give you this real quick. little overview, right? So, a person who's gifted musically and just blows people away, right? I can be talented with no spiritual power or I can be talented with spiritual power. For example, a gift of exhortation working through that talent That's a talent with a gift. The gift edifies the saints and challenges them, raises them up, moves them. Maybe it's a gift of evangelism, whatever it might happen to be. No more on gifts right now on that regard. Sorry. Since we have gifts that differ, let us exercise them accordingly. But there's more to this. Let me take it to the next one. Not lagging behind. This is a whole section on gifting in Romans chapter 12. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope. Oh, dear. (laughs) Exercise them. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope. Um, I love some of the... um, Idioms that my brother Derek brings from the United Kingdom. One day recently, we were talking about somebody's attitude toward worship or church or something. I can't remember exactly the conversation, but I remember him saying, well, they just have to sort themselves out. Right? Yeah, they just have to sort themselves out. In other words, they need to get their truck together and figure out what's broken there. I thought it was funny. You didn't like it, but I thought it was funny. But it's a good way of putting it. So let me talk about that for just a second, about sorting ourselves out. Real ministry, my brothers and sisters, is a privilege, and it is glorious. It's a privilege, and it's glorious. Last week, when Pastor Tim was talking about getting the kids up to go to church, you know, uh uh-huh. I don't want to go today. I relate. My wife and I were up at 2 o'clock and couldn't go back to sleep. It's like, I would have liked to have slept in this morning. I would have felt pretty good. But I had to come here and bore all of you, so I wouldn't want to miss that appointment. Sorry. To pour into, if, here's what happens. We feel like doing an assignment, and there's, I'm going somewhere with this. We feel like having to do things is a drudge. But if I am involved in real spiritual ministry, it breathes life into me. Those of you in the room who have ever taken the time to minister to somebody when they're hurting, meet a specific need, or pour truth into them when they have a question and they're stuck, and you see the light come on, tell me, do you walk away from that depressed? Oh, that was terrible. They listened to what I said. It worked in their life. It changed everything, and they're happy as can be. Oh, that stinks. I'm so depressed. No, it's not a drudge. It breathes life into us, does it not? Yes, it does. So I want to talk about something that um, when I was at a Willow Creek uh, um, 
leadership summit one time, I got my hands on this difference between volunteering and being called. Ooh, ow, right? So before I go any further, I mean, it's awfully hot and humid and quiet in here. And if I have offended anybody, especially when I talked about spiritual idiocy, I apologize. But that's the way I think about it. I also am very self-deprecating because sometimes when things go wrong in my life and God watches out for us, my favorite line and my wife's is, God watches out for his idiots, so I'm safe. (laughs) So, the difference between volunteering and being called, because if I have a gift, my brothers and sisters, I'm called to that. That's not an accident. So you see the urgency, the need for me to know what has God gifted me to do. Because if I find it, I'm going to find fulfillment. I'm going to find that it will, in fact, breathe life into me. First thing, volunteering, like drudging, is more prone to jealousy and feeling threatened by the talent and gifts of other people. But when I'm called by God, I praise God for distributing the gifts and talents as he chooses. I'm glad you have that gift and I don't. I'm glad I have this gift and maybe you don't. I'm glad that person has another gift that I don't have because I wouldn't want to have to do that. And they seem to love it. Mr. Barry and I have that conversation all the time. I'm really glad you're doing your job. And he tells me the same thing. There are different giftings. A volunteer will shrink back from resolving, for example, relational conflict. He may be oblivious to the needs of his ministry overall. But a person who's called is going to work through those things to preserve the unity of the team that is intending to bring glory to God by succeeding for the sake of the kingdom. A volunteer can't handle being put in situations where they may be stretched, challenged. One of my old phrases my friends used to use, no guts, no glory. Remember that? (laughs) No guts, no glory. Someone called of God says, okay, I'm willing to risk it. I'm willing to be stretched. I'm willing to go beyond where I've been before. With humble dependence upon God, maybe I can grow in that. Volunteers look at training or extra time, whatever it might happen to be, as as drudgery, rather than as an opportunity to be shaped, molded, improved, whatever it might be. And by the way, there are times that uh, meetings can be endless and drudgery, that's true. Volunteer looks upon any constructive criticism with indignation, but someone called of God is grateful for feedback because they want to be the very best that they can be. They want to improve what needs improvement. So that is a, uh, a little grid of discerning whether I'm just doing work, kind of drudging because it's duty. Those of you who are old enough to remember that wonderful Dunkin' Donuts advertisement, I gotta make the donuts, gets up at four in the morning to go make donuts. If that's where your Christianity is at right now and that's what you feel in ministry, let me give you the pastor's permission, quit today. Today, quit. Sort yourself out. Get some time alone with God. If somebody picks on you, let me know. I'm giving you permission. Sort yourself out. 
so that I can enter into service with joy, which is the way it's supposed to be. Now, can I say something? This is not designed on the opposite side. I just gave you permission, so I'm going to hear some real problems about that. Maybe 27 people quit everything tomorrow. You know, it's like, ah, what did you do? What kind of a pastor are you? I'm, a ba- I'm the unnecessary pastor. I already told you that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But there are ministries that need to be fulfilled. And when we talk about leading the assembly, here's what I want to do. And I'm trying to be as clear as I can about this. I've said this before. Don't start anything new until we're agreed. Please run it past us. Past the leadership. Past me. Past Pastor Derek. Pastor Tim. Whatever. Don't start anything new. We have enough right now for the condition of our church. We have enough on our plate to do right now. And I don't want to do it schlocky. I want to do it well. And when it gets to the point of humming like a fine-tuned machine, then we can think about and pray about what else God wants to start, okay? All right. So, if you're one who sits here and has maybe participated in the worship, that's serving the Lord, but that's not utilizing your gift to serve the body of Christ or others outside the body of Christ. There's a sheet in the foyer, and you've gotten it emailed, opportunities to serve. Let me make a, a comment about this. I'm not twisting anybody's arm. I'm asking you to step up to being healthy and normal as a believer. Finding your gift and exercising it. How do I find my gift? Well, here's a real simple illustration. Do you remember when automobiles did not have power steering? None of you, anybody under what age doesn't remember that, but some of us do. When you tried to move a vehicle, a big truck or whatever, that had no power steering, the best way to turn that wheel was to start moving. You start moving and turn the wheel, it'll work with you. If you're sitting dead set with thousands of pounds on those front wheels, it wouldn't do it, right? Now it goes, you know, it's much easier now. But if you start moving, you can turn the wheel. And I believe that's how believers start to grow. You say, I don't know what my gift is. Try something. Look on the list and go, I'll try that. That sounds like it might be fun. If you're in there two months and like, I'm dying in here. This is awful. It's probably not your gift. (laughs) So then move along. Find another thing. Get what I'm saying? But somewhere along the line, I have a feeling there's a gift that you have if you know Jesus that's going to go, ah, this is it. And you go, I was made to do this. I'm going to tell you a story. Um, This also happened to be a a, a Chicago story. This, This plant of this assembly out there is acres upon acres, huge buildings that seat literally thousands upon thousands of people for any worship service. You can imagine what their grounds must be like. So there was a brother in that church who was a wealthy supporter. From what, As I remember the story, a wealthy supporter of that church gave graciously, abundantly. But you know what his ministry was? He was into horticulture. And he, now that's a talent, not a gift. But his gift was helps. So he didn't want to be the CEO he would go around those grounds and make sure that place looked like a royal garden. 
so that anybody who came on the campus said, man, this place takes itself serious. This is serious business here. This is gorgeous. And that was his ministry. He would be about it and get teams together to make it happen. And he'd be out there. People would see him. They knew him. They recognized him as this very prominent brother working in the dirt, planting plants, pruning, whatever. And then he got cancer. And they knew it was going to be fatal. And after the families and church family had ministered to him and spoken and interacting one day, guess who's out working on the horticulture? And when they asked him, what are you doing here? Why aren't you backing up? He says, this is what I love to do. If I fall over and die doing this, I will die happy. See, that's not drudgery. That is a call. And he knew it. He knew that's what he was wired to do. And that, that story went out internationally. Internationally. It was so clear. So now let me move on from the underlying principle, which is we're all servants. And pastors really are unnecessary. How did I get there? Oh, I already did that. Yes, thank you very much. I'm amazing. <laughs> this is what happens when you get up at 2 a.m. and stare at the ceiling. Anyway. Okay, before I give you that verse, you're going to recognize that. I want to look at the second thing. The underlying principle is we're all called to serve everyone. The second thing is the underutilized plan that God had in mind, and that was the equipping of us, equipping of the saints through leaders. Leaders, when he gives them to us, are a gift. That's all. I know this almost sounds like I'm preaching for my benefit. I'm not. Leaders are a gift that he gives us to help us be equipped to do some of what I just shared with you a minute ago, helping you, coaching you toward how do I discover my gift, for example? How do I find that kind of fulfillment? And there's more that could be said, but let's just park there. The underutilized plan is having God's servants coach us in. Before I um, get into this next passage, I want to just take a sidebar. You know what that means, a little sidebar, a little um, side insight on this, if I could. That text that we were reading this morning of um, the, the extended portion that I read, let me, uh, let me open it because I just lost it. I hate when that happens. In, in uh, Ephesians, the fourth chapter, I, the prisoner of the Lord, are exhorting you in Ephesians to be aware of the process that God has given us, right? He says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Recognize it? Humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of spirit. Backing it up again. Work, walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Something happened last week when that young man was preaching in my place here. And he made a statement. He said, um, talking about attitude, like as if we know it all or whatever, and, and made a statement. Uh, you might say, I've been here, 
I, this is what I heard, Tim. I, you, you may say, I've been here four years. Don't tell me anything. Remember that? It was actually 40 years is what he said, but I couldn't hear him. I thought he said four years. That's me. Four years I've been blabbing my face around here. He's, he's rebuking me right in church. Tim Strait was rebuking Pastor Hocko in church of all the nerve. Don't steal my thunder. <laughs> Have you been here 20, 30, 40 years? Think you got all the answers? Were, how did you respond when he said that? Were you offended? Guess what I felt? Whoa, John. If the shoe fits. I want to grow. God's not looking for czars. He's looking for servants. And so I refuse to be offended at that. And that humility is a, is a characteristic that makes a church healthy. And it is, I'm just speaking to my brothers and sisters who I love. It's gravely lacking in how we respond to one another. That was my sidebar. Now I want to move on and look at the unnecessary pastor by looking at this particular text. To each one of us, grace was given. That's a repeat. According to the measure of Christ's gifts. And here's some of the gifts he gave. Apostles, prophets. These are person gifts. Apostles and prophets. And evangelists. You know, when I talked about being jealous of other, you remember the, the difference between a, a volunteer and a called person? If I'm going to be tempted to be a volunteer and be crabby, that's the one I'm jealous of. I mean, I've led people to Christ. Some of you are in the room. But that's the one I'm, ooh, you know why? Because they're so visual. You know, they come, they preach at a sermon like this. And then you need to know Jesus. And the people come, oh, I got to know Jesus. They come up. And I'm like, I'm watching them go up. It's like, wow, you lucky dog. How do you do that? You know, it's because it's not my gift. I'm called to do the work of an evangelist, but I don't have that gift. And I love watching it work when it works. It's great. But that would be the one I'd be tempted about, right? Because we make the mistake of comparing ourselves to each other. Duh. Bad thing to do. Bad thing to do. Some prophets and some as pastors and teachers, the Greek most likely is pastor hyphen teacher. Most likely, that's what it means. Why did they get that gift? For the equipping of the saints, to the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. I'm going to stop there for a second. If I, I think that, yeah, that is all of it. Now, where I got my title, the unnecessary pastor. I already made a case for the fact that in terms of the ministry of the church going forward, people coming to faith and building them up, you don't even need a pastor. See, I'm talking myself into a way you guys can save a lot of money. You don't really need a pastor. But eventually, we do need him, and that's why God sends gifts to us. But here's his point. I want you to listen. Indulge me for a minute as I, I, I think a little more conceptually for just a second. On being unnecessary, Eugene Peterson, very godly brother. We begin with the obvious. The gospel of Jesus Christ is profoundly countercultural. I came to cast fire on the earth, Jesus said, and would that it were already kindled. 
There are powerful forces determined to turn Jesus into a kindly, wandering peasant sage, teaching us how to live well, dispensing homespun wisdom, arousing our desire for God, whetting our appetite for higher truths, all of which are good things. These same forces are similarly determined to turn us, the church's pastors and leaders, into kindly religious figures. Men and women who provide guidance through difficult times, who dole out inspiration and good cheer on a weekly schedule, who provide smiling reassurance that God is in his heaven and keep our congregations busy at tasks that bolster their self-esteem. Also, good things. And if they don't turn us into merely nice people, they turn us into replicas of our cultural leaders seeking after power and influence and prestige. These insistent voices drum away at us, telling us pastors to go out and compete against the successful executives and entertainers who have made it to the top. Boy, there's a sermon there, isn't there? Because they're more, they're more prophets to some of God's people than their pastors are. so that we can put our churches on the map and make it big in the world. But the Christian is a witness to a new reality that is entirely counter to the culture. The Christian faith is proclamation that God's kingdom has arrived in Jesus, a proclamation that puts the world at risk. What Jesus himself proclaimed and we bear witness to is the truth that the sin-soaked, self-centered world is doomed. Ow! And all of God's people said, well, we're not sure. Wow. <laughs> that wasn't what I was looking for, but okay. Ow. Did you hear that last line? Wow. The truth is the sin-soaked, self-centered world is doomed. This breaks my heart. Pastors are in charge of keeping the distinction between the world's lies and the gospel's truth clear. Because left to ourselves, it gets muddied. And there's this not enviable job to say, I'm sorry everybody's doing that. I'm sorry the churches are embracing that, but it's a lie. And the end is going to be destruction, and we're already seeing it. Not only pastors, of course, every baptized Christian is part of this, but pastors are placed in a strategic countercultural position. We are committed to keeping the proclamation alive and to looking after souls in a soul-denying, soul-trivializing age. That guy knows how to write. That's why I like it. I want you to notice, you have in your notes uh, what my job is to equip you for the work of service, to mend you, to coach you, to uh, equipping means uh, to make you adequate. Not necessarily an expert, but to make you adequate to get the job done. Anytime people want to, how do I do this? How do I reach this guy? How do I talk to this? How do I answer this for my small group? Ask me. I'm happy. I love pouring into those questions, right? I love it. That's my job. But here's the things that we're trying to do with that. Oh, there's my passages of Scripture. I hate when that happens. All right. Equip. We've got three words here. To equip. Adequately train. The next word is to train who? The pastors? No, the saints 
to do the work of service. I put ministry in parentheses because the Greek word is this one, diakonos. Does that sound like anything? Where we get the word deacon. Originally, a person who waited on tables, a menial task that needed to be done. If you read your Bible in the New Testament, you find that those first deacons who did the menial task of distributing, they were the uh, food pantry people in the book of Acts. They were the food pantry people delivering. Later on, they're preaching the gospel, doing miracles, seeing, oh, it was amazing. So get on with it. Would you guys at the food pantry, I want miracles next week. (laughs) Just kidding. I'm not a czar. (laughs) And after service of ministry, which is for every Christian, because God's given you a gift so you can do it, comes the building up of the body of Christ. The word we used to use in King James language, edification. Edification is the building up. Oikos domeo. Oikos, the word for house. Domeo, for building, like domestic. Oikos domeo. Building up. Building up. Strengthening both numerically, as well as spiritually, as well as emotionally, etc. Are you getting it? All of that building up. That's why all those gifts are available. So let me emphasize, if I could, one more thing that my brother Eugene Peterson says about the unnecessary pastor. The leading premise is that pastors are unnecessary, but unnecessary in a defined sense. I don't mean worthless or irrelevant or shiftless. So those of you who already started writing letters, that was a a joke. Sorry. Forget I said it. I don't mean worthless, irrelevant, or shiftless. I mean unnecessary in three ways in which we are often assumed to be necessary. One, what the culture presumes is important. Paragons of goodness and niceness. Custodians of moral order. Social stabilizers when a crisis hits. Oh, we need that out in, the, in, the, in, the, in town. We need that. Second, we are also unnecessary to what we ourselves often feel is essential. We're the linchpin holding the congregation together. Boy, if they didn't have me... I have a commentary on that. Anyway, so... <laughs> I've been in this business too long. I know better. But here's the one that we really need to hear. We are unnecessary to what the congregations insist that we must do and be. As the experts who help them stay ahead of the competition, congregations want pastors who will lead them in the world of religious competition, provide a safe alternative to the world's ways. They want pastors who lead. They want pastors the way Israelites wanted a king, make hash of the Philistines. Congregations get their ideas of what makes pastors from culture, not from the scriptures. They want a winner. They want their needs met. They want to be part of something zesty and glamorous, or as my father-in-law used to say, sexy. We want our church to be sexy. <laughs> and he comments on how many people he's... Get over it. Uh, it's a legitimate word. It's the way I said it. And he makes comment about his interaction with churches who are looking for the Apostle Paul, which is always a joke because they're never going to pay him enough. 
With hardly an exception, they don't want pastors at all. They want managers of their religious company. They want a pastor, get this. this is, if you don't take anything else home with you today, take this line home. They want a pastor they can follow so they won't have to bother with following Jesus anymore. God forbid that I ever be that. Ever. They want a pastor they can follow. I don't mean not a model, but we live vicariously. Let him do the ministry. That's your job. We pay you to do that. We pay. You're supposed to do that. You know what? I've had so many people, I've forgotten how many times I've been told how to do my job here. Noel Tishy, uh, a leadership writer, wrote a fantastic book a while back called The Leadership Engine. And in that, he said the best companies are the ones who are raising up leaders, but they're turning them into teachers. So the leader teaches the, the leader, and the leader teaches the next set of leaders, and on and on. Some of you might know that that works, right? You teach so that they teach so that they teach. And those country, uh, companies that stay on that focus win. Next week, I'll share one of his stories about Jack Welch when he took over General Electric. But that's the corporate world. Let me just say from the spiritual side, there's also truth in that. One of the best things that uh, I know of as an illustration, some of you know we teach karate on Wednesday here. And uh, I got to the point of becoming a teacher. Here's how it happened. I was still a lower belt. And we'd go to class one night, and there'd be a bunch of new students, and there weren't enough black belts in the room. And sensei would look for the person who knows the most, and sometimes it was me. Yikes! You're going to go over here, and you're going to lead this group. And so I'm leading a group. Oy! See, we have this mistaken idea sometimes as believers that... I've attended, I've listened to a lecture, I've gone to a Bible study, and I've taken in, and that I just did a good deed. That that's somehow one of the Jewish mitzvotes, you know, one of the many deeds of righteousness. I just did my mitzvah. I went to church. That's not serving, though. That's not utilizing your gift, unless your gift is this or maybe that or something like that. That's not earning it. That's not making it work. The way I learn is I start doing. So if I do it, I learn more. I do this, I learn more. I stretch. And the best way, pass it on to the next person. Then eventually I'm going to nag them. You know, guys in our Bible study, I'm going to nag you. When do you step up? It's your turn. Step up and make it happen, right? All right, so I have one more thing I have to say. This sounds a little lectury today, doesn't it? A little bit? Yeah, a little bit. And the reason being is I'm hoping that in the days ahead we can raise up leaders that will take us in a spiritual, healthy direction. That's all. But some of it we have to get right. One is we're all ministers. We all have to be engaged somewhere along the line. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who basically said... Uh, non-active members of a congregation destroy it. He said that. Not me. He said that. So somewhere along the line, you should be asking yourself, you know what? I haven't been doing anything. I've been here for a while. Is there something I can put my hand to? Can I find something like that man who was doing horticulture in Chicago 
that brings joy to me and makes something valuable happen. And I've already given you permission. If you need a break and get out of the drudge mode, do it. Take a break so that we can come at it refreshed. The last passage I want to point out is, We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. When, um, when Jesus said, It's not going to be like that among you. You're not jockeying for power and trying to rise to the top of the organization. He said, The one who is going to lead will be the one who manifests a servant heart. And he said he'll be slave to all. Well, when we read that sometimes, it's like, Yikes, are you kidding? Which is why I put this up here. We don't preach ourselves, but Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservant. We're your servants for Jesus' sake. There's a difference. I'm not your slave. I'm his slave, and I serve you for his sake. Does that make sense? Which is why some people in churches have had things backwards at times. Examples. I have some... You'll be really happy. didn't happen here. This didn't happen here. I'm his servant, and therefore I can serve you. Years ago, several things. In a church, parsonage, person comes to the door. In the middle of the day, house is a wreck. The kids have made the place a mess, whatever. You know, it's a pastor with a wife and kids. They make messes. And this person's on a committee and thinks because they own the parsonage, they have a right to go invading in that space. It's like, what? Another brother said, this one happened to me, said to me one day, "Um, you need to keep an evening service going in case I decide to show up. (laughs) Wow. If I was your slave, I would say, yes, sir, but I'm not your slave. And boy, you don't even have the sense to be embarrassed by what you just said. Because you should be embarrassed. One of my wife's favorite lines, by the way. Should be embarrassed. People have a mistaken idea that all of our demands and expectations need to be fulfilled. What often happens in local churches, and this is what we need to break away from, is that we want a chaplain. Someone to pray with us, deal with our crises, whatever but never expect that we're going to rise up and do ministry. Now, thankfully, I want to make this clear. There are people in this room who get ministry. Thanks be to God. And may your tribe increase. And that's what we want to do. I want to be clear that even though I have used the title that I am the unnecessary pastor, that I am exactly where I need to be. That's been confirmed very clearly to me. So I want to maintain that process of coaching us to move forward together. But I have said when I first got here that one of the senses I got about the minister, to some degree it was a necessary evil. You had to have a pastor to be a church. You don't have to have a pastor to be a church. You're the church. Rise up and be the church. Find your gifting. Enter into it. Make it work. And out of that, not only will you find fulfillment, but God will raise up those who are called to help coach us into the future. I'm going to tattle on myself. One of the reasons I'm growing this beard, it almost backfired. Carrie, I'm not going to forgive you about this. I started growing this beard on purpose 
And uh, I'm on the karate floor the other day. He's standing behind me. He looks in the mirror and he goes, wow, Pastor John, that beard makes you look younger. That's exactly what I didn't want to have happen. So I may have to cut it off. I don't know. I was hoping when it gets nice and white, you'll see how old I am. Not wise, just old. And the reason I want you to see that is because we have to be realistic about the fact I'm not the long-term future for Harmony Baptist Church. Only got so many years. Some of you are. Got to pass it on to the next generation and the next generation. Teach, teach, lead, teach, lead, teach, reproduce, reproduce, find your gift, exercise it zealously, not drudgery, life-giving. That's what we want, right? So, with all that in mind, thank you for your kind attention. Let me just say this. The reason I'm speaking so soberly about these things is because eternal issues are at stake. We come, we're comfortable, we're used to hearing, oh yeah, Pastor John. I know my preaching sometimes used to put people, literally put them to sleep because there was a, there was, they got used to me, you know. My sheep hear my voice and they know, yeah, I know him. <laughs> Fading out. And we, and we forget that what we're doing here has eternal consequences. Does anybody get that? Yeah. Eternal. Who we affect. Who else we bring along. Who gets changed by the process of sanctification. One person in this room could be so transformed that they will affect the lives of 50 to 100 other people. But we don't know that. So we have to... Take it seriously because eternal issues are at stake, right? Let's stand together as we pray. And if you haven't become part of the church, not this one necessarily, but the church, get in. Jesus invites you. Whosoever will may come and find Jesus as Savior and Lord. God, we pray in Jesus' name tonight, today for your Holy Spirit to take truth and apply it where we need it applied, cast off what is dross, and Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that we might be encouraged if we don't already know what our gifting is, that we would move ahead and find that which gives us life and pours life into other people as well. Help us to work together in humility with patience, being long-suffering with one another. Because without a doubt, if we're trying to accomplish something together, we're going to bump into each other, irritate each other, disappoint one another. All kinds of things happen. And boy, am I glad, Jesus, you didn't give up on me and you didn't give up on us as quickly as we tend to do on one another. Help us, O oh God. We'll give you thanks. In the great name of Jesus, we praise you, and we ask, Lord, that your church would bring glory to the Son of God who paid his blood to redeem it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Off you go. Have a wonderful afternoon.